exercise is bad for you. At least that's what this recent massive study says. No one seems to be able to explain how this 45-year-long, 22,000-person twin study is wrong. But I think I can. As a warning, though, what I thought was just going to be a quick little video about an interesting study ended up taking me down a rabbit hole that I still don't think I'm all the way through. It's not just the studies and the doctors and the scientists behind these studies. This is a really interesting topic, isn't it? This idea that weight loss is a good thing. Um, actually, uh, most of the evidence out there shows that us that weight loss is actually not good for our health. It's the brainwashing from nearly every creator in the space and what they're doing that's making these things even worse. The good news is that although this headline sounds insane, and it is insane, there is actually something fantastic hidden in here, despite the massive amount of backlash it's been getting. Let me explain. What this study says about exercise and longevity is that people who exercise regularly, on average, only live I don't think it's a mystery why so many people are taking an issue with this study. People are always looking for the path of least resistance when it comes to health and fitness. And the way people are reporting on this study, it sounds like it's going to give people that permission or excuse if they want it. For a lot of people, any excuse to work less or to put in less effort, that's a winner. Everyone is searching for the lowest possible intervention to give them the best outcome possible, right? Look no further than Ozempic or lap bands or BBLs or synthol, almost anything that can take you from A to B quicker is seen as a no-brainer. Yet, we're seeing an even crazier trend now that seems in line with the health denial that's been coming up recently. An even crazier way to get around hard work. You'll get what I mean here. Why bother with any weight loss or going under the knife when you can instead just deny reality? and say, you're good as is. Isn't that what healthy at every size and most body positivity advocates say? Why achieve a weight loss goal? It isn't the right one for you, clearly. Just bring that goal a little bit closer to you, right? Better yet, aren't you already at your goal? Can't you just change your standards and just want less? Why would you need to lose weight? Isn't that kind of fat phobic of you? Intentional weight loss, so you purposely saying, I want to lose 20 pounds, is fat phobic. You should just become happy with the body you have. Oh, doctors say you aren't healthy because you're not changing your habits and lifestyle? They're wrong. And they're fat phobic too. Show me a doctor who isn't fat phobic and I will be shocked. Here's the new science. The science that people are rightly disputing, seemingly to no benefit. The science that says obese people are actually healthier than skinny people. We have a doctor that's telling the nation today that actually you don't need to lose weight and you can be healthy. Now that really concerns me because of all the obvious things that we know. Seriously, this has gotten so out of hand that we're now at a point where doctors are just submitting to these claims that their patients are making. And believe me, we will be talking about fat positivity doctors. I digress. People don't like hard work and all the people in my industry are losing their mind thinking that this study is going to give more people license to just be lazier, less healthy, give up, and die sooner. There are many people that are one slight nudge 
away from going down a path that they may never come back from. That is very concerning and a very likely possibility. So what does the study really say? Is it as bad as all the media attention has made it seem? Can we really trust these studies when doctors have shown that they can be bought or bullied into changing their mind? And of course, the main point, how many years can you actually extend your life with exercise? That is what we're going to be covering today, guys. Kind of going broad with this, but I promise they're all connected. A study that's got personal trainers and airline seats, both panicking, but for very different reasons. So with all that out of the way, guys, my name's Andrew with Holistic Motion. Let's get into it. Episode 70, y'all. ...an ever-worsening obesity crisis. Like, you guys need to wake up. My health is no one's business. You are celebrating, celebrating morbid obesity. I am not celebrating That's what you're doing. Seeing someone like me on the cover of, like, a glossy magazine shouldn't be top news. This study examined the association between long-term leisure time, physical activity, and mortality, or LTPA for short, with a focus on biological aging and the impact of familial factors. That's a fancy way of saying how a lifelong exercise habit impacts people's health and longevity. They used 22,750 Finnish twins, which is a phenomenal sample size, I might add, and put them into four different LTPA categories, sedentary, moderately active, active, and highly active. This is where I start seeing people raising some issues with the study, but it's not the only place. Those exercise patterns are all self-reported. So what if someone thinks a different level of intensity is moderately active, but another thinks it's highly active, which is a valid critique. But if you think anybody is going to be able to afford nearly 25,000 people coming into a lab on a regular basis just to exercise to exact specifications for almost half a century, then you probably also think an island full of children and celebrities is just a silly little hangout with some friends. <coughs> Massive long-term studies like this have to rely upon self-reporting to some degree and just hope that the volume of the study is going to make up for any shortcomings of it. The study also used epigenetic clocks to assess physical activity and biological aging. This is where things are more measurable and quantified. Think of your body's DNA like a clock. As you age, certain marks on your DNA change. These changes are kind of like a biological clock. These can tell us how old your body really is, which might be different from your actual age. You know all those insufferable people who are like, oh, I'm this old, but my body is only this old. Uh, yeah, like that. This was so that they could see if being active keeps your body younger at a cellular level. So here's what they ended up finding. It says that people who exercise regularly only live 1.8 years longer than those who don't, but that it is likely because of other confounding variables, like them eating healthy and sleeping well to recover. And uh, that's <laughs> like, yeah, of course. I think it would be nice to have a single trigger that we can pull that's going to improve everything in our life and improve our longevity. And maybe there is, but just because it isn't only exercising that's improving these factors doesn't mean we can't take a more, dare I say, holistic view or approach of things. This is like saying a car doesn't get you from point A to point B. It's just hundreds of years of engineering and science and several things being combined together. Stupid, right? Let's consider the inverse of that. Yes, smoking is bad and can kill you, but there are so many confounding factors that compound those effects. According to the CDC, 95% of alcoholics are smokers. Only 30% of smokers don't drink. Who are the most likely smokers? People in mining, accommodation, food services, construction industries, jobs that are of course known for their fantastic health. We also add bad sleep, bad air quality, harsh working conditions and hours. Guess what that usually leads to? Oh 
poor diets, and excessive stimulant usage. Then, in an ultimate twist of irony, the CDC also found that only 33% of smokers are exercising at least three times a week, which, even on the better end, is 25% less than non-smokers. So by that logic, yeah, smoking might kill you, but it's mostly all that other shit that it's associated with, right? But remember I said there was more to this study than it seemed? It wasn't just as simple as that 1.8 years. And why would it be, right? What they saw was a U-shaped curve with both extremes on either end. Basically, the people who were very inactive or sedentary and those who were extremely active showed signs of faster biological aging. This is really crazy when you think about this with real-life examples. Picture Leonardo DiCaprio as the sedentary person versus David Goggins. It's kind of weird to think about them as having like similar longevity potential, right? And it's probably even weirder to think about them as having less longevity than someone more generally healthy, like Paul Rudd or Chris Pratt, for example. But there's one more layer to this. When the researchers adjusted their analysis to account for other health-related issues like existing diseases, BMI, smoking, and alcohol use, that difference in mortality risk between active and sedentary folks became less pronounced. This suggests that other health-related factors might also play a significant role in determining mortality risk, not just the level of physical activity. Confounding factors, like I said. So that tells us that moderation is good, right? Kind of. There is something this extremely active group has that the sedentary one didn't. And if you're a coach, or you've been in the gym for a while, I'm sure you've seen it. Intense exercise does improve health markers in the short term. But how does this show up in real life? Sometimes what you'll see in the health and wellness space or at different gyms is when an overweight or unhealthy person starts exercising and they're going hard all the time is people telling them they should slow down a little, ease up a little, kind of dip your toe in a bit more, right? Like if they don't pump the brakes, they're just going to burn themselves out. But isn't that brief period of motivation, isn't that going to get them the results that's going to take them beyond that first jolt? This study, I think, might show that if you have someone's best interest in mind, it might actually be good to encourage this kind of intensity at first. Maybe going 10 out of 10 hard in the short term can cause drastic improvements for certain populations. Of course, we then need to consider the longevity of the program. The final problem with the study is it's done pretty damn well. Unfortunately, what it shows us is what anybody with half a brain probably already knows. Exercise is good for improved heart health, better blood sugar control, lower risk of obesity, enhanced mental health, and overall better physical fitness. But it isn't a one-to-one for longevity. So what we can pull from this is that longevity is complicated. While healthier habits like diet and exercise and not doing stupid shit like smoking and never sleeping will improve your health, they don't always translate to increased longevity because humans are complicated. Genetics, environmental issues, and unpredictable health issues that come up can also significantly impact your lifespan. Like, hey, that's great that you ate healthy, but unfortunately, you fell off of a boat and you don't know how to swim. Additionally, as we see in Roger J. Williams' book, Biochemical Individuality, people's bodies respond to and require different things in different ways, and that can lead to unique outcomes with each person. So with these obvious outcomes, I can't help but go back to the commonly said thing around this. Why does this study exist? How is this not going to just become another excuse for people to be lazy? 
Obviously, a study is not responsible for what people do with it, right? Yes, at first glance, why does this study exist? If you believe the only reason that it was conducted was to give people an easy excuse to not exercise. But what are the odds that that was really the goal when this started 40 years ago? Oftentimes, sure, studies will be set up with people knowing the outcome that they're going to get. They just need some data for it. But sometimes, against all expectations, a study comes back showing us something we would have never expected. Unfortunately, they usually throw that study out and then run it again and torture the data until it does give them the outcome that they want. That's called data dredging, by the way. It's terrible, and I covered it in episode 53 last year. Technically, this study does imply that exercise is bad for longevity, and the only valid complaint or criticism that I have seen can be summed up as they are just underfunded, understaffed, and underapplied for. These are limitations of circumstance. So why would this study be ran? What is the intention behind it? Is it just the government trying to make us fat and easy to rule? Maybe. Y'all know I love ripping on the government and would not miss out on an opportunity to do it. In other words, unfortunately, science is for sale and many of the recommendations being made by scientists and the government comes from big food companies that pay big bucks. But as Mark Twain said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Or as Orson Scott Card put it, we question all our beliefs except the ones we really believe in and the ones that we never think to question. Imagine if we never challenged the oh-so-obvious conclusion that BCAAs are fantastic for helping you build muscle. A lot of research has come out on branched amino acids, on supplemental branched amino acids, and they don't appear to be anabolic or at least more anabolic than an equal amount of protein. In fact, it looks like a complete spectrum of like whey protein is actually a little bit better. Or that fasted cardio is superior for fat loss. But there are studies show that when you exercise fasted, you do burn a greater percentage of the calories from fat compared to carbohydrate which you burn a greater percentage of calories from if you're fed before you go into exercise. However, when you look at the data on actual fat loss, where calories are equated and they do fasted exercise versus non-fasted, you don't see a difference. Or that dietary fat is inherently bad for you and it is more lipogenic than sugar is. In the end, the researchers concluded that, while accounting for genotypical and insulin differences, there were no significant differences in weight change between a healthy low-fat diet versus a healthy low-carb diet, aka both achieved the same weight loss results. And don't you dare go to the comments with some two-week-long study because I swear to God, I don't think there's a single person watching this who would say exercise is bad for you. But just 10 years ago, we knew that your knees should never go over your toes in a squat or a lunge, and your hips should never break parallel in a squat, and you shouldn't touch the bar to your chest when you're benching. Until studies were run to challenge those beliefs. We have to challenge what we absolutely know, even when it is so stupid, so obvious, when we know for sure what the outcome will be, because it just might not be so. And that's all we need to say. This video can definitely end here. There's no need to look down and see how much time is left on the podcast. Definitely no reason. I once saw a comment on a video of an overweight person that said, 
The 400 over 40 club. Population none. It was said as a way to say that fat positivity activists almost never make it past age 40. At least when they weigh enough. And those that do usually end up taking some serious steps toward weight loss very quickly right before. Not all of these people are over 400 pounds, but Taylor Lejeune, 33, heart attack. Dr. Kat Pause, a fat studies professor, died at 42 in her sleep of undisclosed reasons. Jamie Lopez, a US reality TV star, dead from heart complications at 37, and the saddest one on this list. Brittany Sauer, age 28, and nearly 500 pounds. Why is this one sad? Due to her weight, she had essentially been a prisoner in her own home for the last two years, a diabetic dealing with such severe cellulitis that it had caused a growth in her pelvis that weighed nearly 30 pounds, so out of shape that doing simple things like cutting her toenails required assistance as it left her too breathless. You know, I had to have help trimming my toenails the other day because I felt so out of breath trying to lean over and do my toes. Seemingly coming to terms with where she had gotten to, she said, I'm scared I'm going to end up in a bad place that my body can't recover from, to her half a million followers. I want you to know that it's not worth it. Food isn't worth your life. Um, and I'm hoping that it's not too late for me this time. This is someone being honest about their experience. Someone who seems to have broken the spell of the fat positive lie. Someone who's afraid. And afraid because she's realizing she might be too far gone. But still one of those people being honest about where this lifestyle gets you. And I want you to know that it's not worth it. Food's not worth your life. And uh, I really hope that I can turn it around this time because it's it's really scary how bad things can get. I can be a bit cold at times in regard to health, but not with people who just don't know. Is it wrong to make choices that harm you when all the people you are supposed to trust are telling you this is right? This is what you're supposed to be doing. When you see a headline that exercise is bad for longevity, is someone to blame for an outcome when it is all they've learned up to this point so strongly that it is nearly brainwashed that it has become identity. Brittany up until her very last week was still in a state of ambivalence, talking out of both sides of her mouth. Six months before, posting things like, all bodies are good bodies. Four months before, posting TikToks about how people are wrong and she's not promoting obesity. Two months before, posts saying that fat is beautiful. Two weeks before, fat is not a bad word. And you can contrast these with eight months before, realizing that she does, in fact, want to live, discussing what starting over might be like for her. How do you start over whenever you've fully accepted being okay with dying, with eating yourself to death, with not caring anymore, because you've lost what feels like all the things that matter in the world? Within a week of posting that TikTok toward the end of December 2022, Brittany was dead at 28, doing only what the people she trusted said she should do. So I ask again, who is to blame? 
the people who are in denial? The people who coddle and lie to them? What about people like Bill Gates, who are funding studies that say peanut M&Ms are healthier than beef? This kind of easily manipulated data is a major reason why people have begun to doubt science, why there seems to be no consensus on anything. Should we be angry at the healthy at every size advocates who call weight loss medications and surgeries a form of body mutilation? The doctors who swore to do no harm, yet lie to them that weight loss is bad? In fact, if you want to pretty much guarantee that you're going to be heavier five years from now, the best thing that you can do is go on a diet because that's actually the greatest predictor of weight gain is going on a diet. Fat celebrities like Tess Holliday, who arguably spearheaded this movement, commenting on people's posts as they lament the state of their health, posting sending you love on Britney's page weeks before her death. I'm gonna pull a bit of an inference from my own world on this one. Let's say I were in a situation where I was tired of going to the gym and that I was feeling like, man, I need to make a change. And maybe that change that I see is quitting the lifestyle that I'm living presently, for example. Then Lane Norton or Paul Check or someone else that I really admire commented, sending you love on my post. Because they are fitness people, I could infer that that means, no, keep lifting, continue on with this lifestyle that you and I have in common. What are the odds Britney saw that as encouragement to stay the course and change nothing? After all, the fat positive queen, Tess Holiday, is sending her love. Is that at all unlike going to an AA meeting and passing out beers? Many other commenters were saying the same thing in their replies to Tess. I'm not sure, but I do know that this movement is leaving children with no parents, parents without their kids, and spouses without their partners. And I believe in 10 to 15 years, it will be these kids speaking up and asking, why did my parents believe they were healthy? Who were the people that convinced them this was good? And I'm sure they will be looking at all the people who encourage this lifestyle as the cause of those deaths. So I'll ask you, viewer, if an overweight friend came and asked you for input about their weight and their health, will you be the friend that placates them into their grave? Or will you be honest so that they can finally begin to make a change? Is your obligation toward your friend's feelings, their life, toward honesty, or something else entirely. Extreme exercise may not be ideal for longevity, but obesity and the lies that support the healthy at every size movement seems to be a direct path to a shortened lifespan. It is a movement which blatantly ignores the essential truths of health and longevity. It is a quick path to sealing one's fate to an early grave. This is not the first time that I've spoken about fat positivity activists. You can check out episode 49 for that. The audio is a little wonky in it. I thought that chapter was going to be closed with that video, but here we are again, almost a year later. One thing I can promise you is it's not stopping at this video. This onion is not even close to being finished, being peeled. So we're going to keep peeling. I think that's going to start with fat positive doctors like Asher Larmy and the celebrities encouraging this, like Tess Holiday. So stick around, guys. We've got a lot more coming up. So until next time, guys, my name's Andrew with Holistic Motion. See you later. Um, and I can't wear my leggings or shorts anymore. <sighs> I'm out of breath constantly. Um, 
you know, and I wish I knew the cost of eating. I wish I knew the cost of the, the comfort at the time that I was seeking. Um, and I just want this to be a warning to other people that just need to hear the hard truth, you know, that if you, <clears throat> if you keep it up. Hey guys, if you liked that episode, make sure to check out this top one linked right here. That is episode 49. Or if you want to see a more recent one, you can click that bottom one and I'll see you guys there later.